What if someone told you that you could learn the secret to happiness or success? Maybe you have an interest in mental health or the unknown, or even the desire to communicate with the dead. These are the real stories and encounters from the real people on Behind the Story with Chuck Talk. And here's your host, Chuck Talk. Uh, so, hey, Joshua, welcome back. Thanks for coming back oh, to the show. You get, a very, you get a very keyed up version of me today. <laughs> We're fired up today. Yes. yes. And Joshua Chase, back to talk about porn addiction. And last time when we had a conversation, I called it sex addiction or sex addict. And you kind of corrected me on that, saying sex we refer, or a lot of people look at that as intercourse. Porn addiction is a big blanket because there's so much more to this particular addiction. And you are a trauma coach and you really hone in on porn addiction. And there's a couple of things that we want to talk about. One of one of the things I want to talk about a little bit today is that misplaced love. And what I mean by that is, you know, some of these men, women during the pandemic time, they got into this business of showing themselves off and you get this mixed sensation of oh they love me so all of a sudden that person who's performing the acts or doing whatever you want to call it is hooked oh yes um, yeah no i i absolutely believe that the legacy of this pandemic and you know hey great we we all got to go through a plague in our lifetime aren't we special I believe that the long-term legacy of it when it comes to porn addiction is not going to be on the consumer side. It's going to be on the producer side. And what we saw happen was right after the pandemic started, and you have to remember this started in Europe first, uh, the the popular porn site Pornhub offered free 30-day access to their premium site to anybody in France, Italy, and Spain in the very opening days of the pandemic. And what we saw on the consumer side of things was a year-to-year, 2019 to 2020, we saw a day-to-day over the year increase of 60-70%. So suddenly there are all these people now watching porn who never have before or didn't watch it to these numbers. And it's not like it's a holiday. It's not like it's a weekend. There's nothing. It was just the pandemic that shot these numbers up. And what people, you know, that's when people started contacting me wanting to do interviews and being like, oh my God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen here? And I made a prediction and it turned out that my prediction was correct in that it wasn't the consumers that really were the big story when it came to the pandemic. It was the producers. Because when you look at it, who were the people that got furloughed first? It was the service industry workers. It's the people who worked in retail. It's the people who worked at restaurants, the bartenders, hostesses, waiters, waitresses. Now, who are these people generally? They're young people. They're, you know, under 30 years old. Well, what is it that they have in common? Well, they all have to dress well for work. They all have to look good for work. They have to be good with clients and good with customers. 
and they tend to be of this generation that doesn't remember a world before the internet. So we are we can assume that they've seen a ton of porn in their life, and we can assume that they don't have a lot of the taboos and a lot of the lines of morality that were drilled into people your age and my age by our parents or grandparents when it came comes to nudity or sexuality. So suddenly you've got these good-looking people in their 20s who have to make their rent. I'm sure some of them have to get food for their kids and whatnot. And now they're stuck at home because, good Lord, if you go outside, you're going to get the plague. What can these people do? And a lot of these people, millions and millions of these people, turn to pornography. If you look at the statistics for probably the biggest, I don't want to say offender because they didn't do anything wrong, but the biggest site that took advantage of this was probably OnlyFans. And for those people who were over 40 years old listening, most of them probably don't even know what OnlyFans is. For the people under 40 years old, it's an everyday part of their culture. That's how big this divide is. And for the people over 40, OnlyFans is sort of like Facebook meets Etsy when it comes to DIY porn. You have a page, you pay, pay sorry, people pay you to view your page and you put up whatever photos you want and you can even have an extra layer where you put up a photo and say it's going to be an extra five dollars to look at this or you put up a video and it's an extra ten dollars to look at this and what we found was that now that you've got all these people sitting at home looking for porn and you've now got all these people at home making porn it was the absolute perfect storm on january 1st 2020, which was technically the, the pandemic had just started, there were about 3 million people creating content on OnlyFans, almost all of them pornography. Fast forward two years to this year, January 1st, 2022, there were over 2 million people making content on OnlyFans. That means that during the pandemic, we roughly saw 1.7 million people become quote-unquote porn stars through just OnlyFans. And this doesn't talk about all of the huge numbers of cam sites that exist out there. They saw great explosions as well. When doing my research for my book, I actually found press releases where some cam sites were specifically going after people and trying to recruit them because there was such a need for pornography during the, during the pandemic. Now... One of the things that I wanted to do was I wanted to follow some people who got into this in writing my third book, which was called Porn in the Pandemic. I wanted to follow some people who were just getting into it, and then I wanted to follow some people who had been in it for a long time. So I talked to the veterans, and they were a little bit concerned about what the pandemic might do if people would hoard their money or what would happen. So they were wonderful in talking to, to understand how the consumer who used those kinds of sites changed in the three, four months that's that, that led up to the pandemic or, or were the first three, four months of the pandemic. What was interesting in talking to the newbies was at first they were all about, yep, I used to make this much money at work and I've been told that I can do this on OnlyFans and I only have to, you know, I don't even have to show everything if I don't want to. I like the fact I'm in control. I look forward to making this money. And then I went back three, four months later to re-interview them, and while there were some who were about the money still, it really bothered me how many of them, especially the younger females, 
were like, well, you know what? I do like the money and, and I do make enough, but man, I just love doing this. I can't get a date in real life. I can't even get a guy to look at me in real life. And now here I am and... You know, I've got guys from all over the world who are telling me how beautiful I am. I've got guys telling me I'm special. I've got guys who want to have conversations with me who they don't even always want to look at my chest. They don't always want to look at my ass. It's like, what, well, you, you said you weren't going to show your chest when you first started. Yeah, that only lasted about a week. I realized if I was going to make money, I had to do that. Oh, so are you still not having sex on? No, I'm not having sex. I mean, I, well, I do masturbate online now. It's like, okay, so you went from planning on just doing bikinis and lingerie in three months to full-on masturbating online for people for money. So let me ask you real quick on this. Yeah. So does this mean that the producer now has a new type of addiction, or do we still call this a well, porn addiction? That's what scares me. That's what scares me is that I think it's still porn addiction, but when you hear these people, and it was, you know, mo like I said, mostly young ladies, but there were a couple of guys also who were like, you know, I'm, I'm told I'm special. I'm told I'm pretty. I love jumping online and there, I, there will always be somebody there to talk to me. And there's always going to be somebody there who loves me. And it's like, you know what I'm hearing? I'm hearing that these people are getting massive dopamine rushes from doing this OnlyFans stuff. And I'm wondering is like, if... If it's not about the money, if it's about that feeling, well, gee, you know, when it comes to porn addiction as a consumer, I can tell you it wasn't about the naked body. It didn't even matter what was on the screen most of the time when I was an active addict. And most active addicts can tell you that. It doesn't matter what's on the screen specifically. It's just about the feeling those chemicals give you. And then there you are on the other side of the coin you're making the pornography. I don't think that, like you said, you go from lingerie to full-on masturbation. I don't think they cared what they were making. They just loved that feeling of the feedback that they were getting. They were going after the dopamine hit. So to me, Chuck, I think what we're looking at is we're looking at porn addiction just on the other side of the coin. Is there really a difference between being a porn addict as a consumer or as a producer when you get down to it if we're all just trying to access these chemicals in our brain? And I can imagine some of these men and women who are 25 years old now, I can see them 20 years from now still on OnlyFans, still on these cam sites making porn not because they're making good money. I can't imagine they'd be making good money at 45, but just because there's somebody out there who's willing to say, hey, you're pretty. Hey, you're valuable. Hey, I like you. And, you know, that's that's really what they're going for. One of the most telling quotes I, I got was when a woman said to me, you know, I can, I can drop my top and 50 men will pay $20 for that. You're going to tell me $1,000 for that? That doesn't make it pretty special? And it's like, well, I, I, I guess it makes it unique, but if you are, and I didn't tell her this, but if you are internalizing that you are a good special person because you know how to undo latch on your bathing suit, or you know how to pull your swim trunks down so people can get a look at your junk, that doesn't reflect on you positively or negatively as a person. It has nothing to do with you as a person. But if you're taking that message in that that makes you special, that makes you good, that means everything's okay in your world, 
I think that you are, you're on the road to ruin eventually, much like most porn addicts who are consumers are. Wow. You know, like I said, the association with that dopamine and that feel-good chemical in your brain can last forever. Yeah. Forever. I'm, now I'm seeking that same attention or that, not just the attention, that feeling that I get. And I can see where somebody would get lost in that. And you, can I say you got to try to nip it in the bud somehow quickly? I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I always give this very kind of obtuse example of, you know what you're going to get when you go there. And you know you're going to get your hit of dopamine, no matter w whether it's a consumer or producer. And I describe this like going to Olive Garden. Everybody likes Olive Garden breadsticks. Everybody likes Olive Garden breadsticks. It's just, it's, it's, it's a, it's a well-known fact. They're going to be the same breadsticks in Miami or Seattle or Dallas or Toronto or wherever you are in the world. They make them the same everywhere. It, are they that good? They're okay. But here's the thing. They're consistent. That's why we like them. That's why we go to McDonald's. That's why we go get the blizzard at Dairy Queen. That's why we do certain things, because it's consistent. We know what we're going to get. We know we're not going to be disappointed. And that's what it was with pornography with me when I was an addict, was that I didn't care if I was looking at a white girl that day or a black girl that day or an Asian girl that day. I didn't care if it was two people having normal sex or eight people having crazy sex. I wasn't after that. I was after that good feeling inside. That's what I wanted. And I didn't care what was on the screen. If that wasn't giving me that feeling that day, hit the button. I get it. I get something else on the screen. If that's not giving me the good feeling today, hit the button until I find that good feeling. And then I can move on with my life. And I think that's, that's why we go to Dairy Queen. That's why we go to Olive Garden. And I think that's why a lot of these people, despite the fact that the world has largely reopened, that's why they're staying there on OnlyFans. That's why they're staying there on the cam sites is that they're getting something very different than money that comes along with that experience. Well, with all this, it's easy to access, easy to produce, yeah. easy to access. So, and that's why when people, people ask me, you know, so, you know, why do we, why should we really care about pornography? It's been around forever. And it's like, it has been around forever. But if you look, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, first part of the 90s, pornography was generally produced with the straight white male in mind. And that's because it costs so much to produce pornography. And you could count on the audience of the straight white male to show up at the theaters in the 60s and 70s. You could count on the straight white male audience to go to the bookstores and the movie stores and to buy the movies in the 1980s. Once the, once the internet came around, suddenly you could sell to other people. I don't think women really liked to go into those theaters because they didn't feel safe. I don't think women wanted to be seen walking out of one of those theaters or one of those bookstores by somebody in their community. Oh my God, what's Sally doing coming out of the adult bookstore? Well, now Sally can sit at home and get on the internet. And since Sally has working genitals and Sally is a sexual creature like all human beings, Sally likes porn. And 
everybody turn, turns out everybody likes porn. It doesn't matter what God you pray to or what continent you were born on or any of this stuff. We all like this stuff. And because, like you mentioned, you and I could start right now. And even though we're on opposite coasts, we could have a porn produced tonight with real actors, you know, all cut together, all edited and posted on a website, making us money by the end of the day. Now that making a porn and distribution is so cheap, you can see all of these little narrow casted, you know, there's porn, lesbian porn made by lesbians for lesbians. I don't know exactly all what that means and how it's different. To me, it's just marketing, but... There you go. You have porn geared towards specific ethnic types. You have porn geared towards specific religions. You can narrow cast now because the audience is so much wider. And when you look at porn addiction statistics, number one, black men. Number two, white women. Number three, members of the LDS and Catholic churches. These are the people who never went to the bookstore before. These are the people who never wanted to be caught renting a film or going into, going into the movie theater. Now they can sit at home in front of their computer and get what the straight white man has been getting forever. So you don't see white men, straight white men gaining in addiction the way you see all of these other groups because the playing field is even now that porn costs nothing to make. You know, listening to you say this makes me think of the plain brown rapper. So nobody else knows, but now you're at home. So, hey, nobody else knows. So I feel comfortable. Well, and I'll show you this. This was my second book, the one for betrayal trauma. We did it as a plain brown rapper. <laughs> we, and, we, wanted, we wondered how many people would get the reference to the plain brown rapper. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to make sure that people know to go to P Addict Recovery. Uh, and the reason you use just the letter P is because a lot of people are afraid to say porn or pornography. And they're going, I don't, don't want to type the word porn into their browser. I learned that real fast. So now we use the letter P. And on, on TikTok, you have to be careful about the word porn. So everybody has started to use the word corn. <laughs> That, that's how that's that's the code word for pornography if you're on tiktok and you see the word corn and it isn't about a little kid singing how much he likes it it's about pornography wow wow it this is this just amazes me the increase in the number of viewers the number of producers and the the other addictions that this can cause you know absolutely one of, absolutely and and the thing is what does this do to people who are producers? You know, we've had high-speed internet for 20 years. We've been able to study what pornography is doing. We've been able to see how it's changed. We talked about things like erectile dysfunction rates the last time we were together, how high-speed internet has changed this stuff. But we don't know on the producer side of it yet. It's only since social media and since we've had, since we've had this pandemic that Making pornography, being a true sex worker, is a viable career choice for a lot of people. And a lot of people who are, you know, 18, 20, 25, they look at OnlyFans as a side hustle. Oh, I can make a few hundred bucks a month. I throw a few topless photos up on there, or I throw a few photos, you know, showing my penis up on there. And, you know, I can make five, six hundred bucks a month. That's all I do it for. And I was like, 
we don't know what this does in the long run. And I'm not even talking about photos. I don't think it's going to be a big deal in 20, 25 years if people have nude photos out there. So many of them exist. I think you're going to hear kids on the playground. Your mom has naked photos on the internet. Well, so does your mom and so does your mom. You know, I, I don't think that's going to be a big deal. But we don't know what the mental health fallout in the long run is from this. What happens if this, what happens if one of these girls does meet the man of her life and he won't accept the fact that she did this? What happens if there's some other kind of mental health issue where all of a sudden, you know, she, she, you know, wakes up one day and decides that was a mistake. Yeah. You know what? With the internet, there's no do-overs. What happens if they, if, if a guy or a girl converts to some kind of religious faith or has some kind of awakening, can't pull this stuff back. You know, what does that do to these people? We don't know that yet. And it's going to be another decade before any studies have any real long-term knowledge behind them. So we're, we're really in the wild west of this right now. Yeah, you know what's scary about this to me is that you oftentimes hear students, kids, young age, they send their porn, their nude pictures or their junk, yeah. you know, to one kid to the next. And it's only meant to go to... Johnny, but then Johnny says, hey, I'm going to pass this on over to Sean and Fred and everybody else. <coughs> Excuse me. And I, I guarantee you every middle school and every high school in the world has had this problem go on. I've talked with some teachers. I've talked with some therapists and they have to regularly see people as part of like, you know, oh, well, there's another breakout of nudes at the school. Okay, well, instead of telling the police or instead of getting the police involved, the police will allow these kids to go to three months of counseling. So they, they're they busy with, with therapists, you know, talking about what happened. And I don't know if that's really the answer for them. Hold on one second. Let me just kick my cat here who is <laughs> scratching at a post. I didn't kick it. I just moved it with my foot. I want, I want the PETA people to know that. That's right. And yeah, it's, 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 it's so pervasive out there. When you think about it, you know, I mentioned this to you when we were off air last time. You know, when you and I were in high school, if there was a picture of the buff, you know, football player who had the sexy cheerleader girlfriend, a picture of them at the beach where he's in his short shorts and he's got his good abs going and she's in her little bikini. That picture, you know, in, in the early 90s when I was in high school would have been passed around the lunchroom and, oh my God, did you see the picture of, you know, Billy and Jenny or whoever? Oh, it would have been passed around like it was currency and everybody would have wanted to turn seeing that. Nowadays, you don't have to have that happen because every 15 and 16 year old who's out there is expected to have a half naked picture of themselves, if not just one, many out on the internet, on Instagram. You know, the, the term, I was creeping your photos, what does that mean? I was looking for as much skin as I could in your photos. I was looking for your sexy photos. I wanted to see how naked you got in your photos. That's what that means. And like I said, if that's the norm, if that's what's expected now, how how different is it for a girl on her 18th birthday? You know, if the day before her 18th birthday, she's up, up on Instagram or Snapchat in her bikini, 
how different is that really for her in the world she's grown up in to take that bikini top off and make a thousand dollars on her 18th birthday? I don't know. I, I know. I, I know a lot of people who would probably wish they was wishes they were 18 so they could take their top off and make that thousand dollars. I don't know if that's that's a good thing. I don't think that's a healthy thing. I think that we have to talk more about this and we have to look at what's happening. What are the effects of 18, 19, 20 year old men and women? just doing this explicit sexual stuff and selling it themselves online. You know, it's great they're not at a strip club. It's great they're not making big budget porn. You know, it's great that they're not being prostitutes. But you can't tell me that this is not going to have some kind of long-term scarring. It, it has to. Yeah, it definitely would. And I'm thinking here, like you said, that you know, probably a lot of 15, 16, 14, 17, 18-year-olds porn, well, some skin well, showing, kind of but... Well, the, the, especially for their boyfriend and girlfriend. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, so you hear I mean, a lot okay, of tragic well, stories. I'm not, I'm not putting, you know, I'm 16 years old. I'm not putting this out to the public. But, you know, Johnny loves me or Jenny loves me. And we already are having sex. So, of course, I can send them a picture of my genitals. It's safe. Yeah. Some of the other things, as I bet, I'm going to guess that there's a lot of them that have this ready to go they already have their pictures on here it's like all right yeah i'll just send it over to you yeah yeah uh, oh, and... absolutely absolutely oh. and one of the things that shocked me in all of this was when all this was starting up a couple years ago i said to my daughter and this is when i learned about the the, the cultural difference i said hey have you heard of only fans and she said of course i have <laughs> everybody has and i'm like really and she, yeah i said oh my because i've heard that's getting popular she's like oh yeah i've got a page and it's like, what? I was like, oh, I don't have a page. I have an account so I can support my friends. I was like, who do you support? What guys What guys do you know are doing this? She's like, oh, I don't know any guys doing it. It's a couple of my, my, my girlfriends who are doing it. I was like, and you, you've bought it for them? She's like, yeah, I don't buy their extra pictures, but I just want to support them. So I throw them 6 or $7 a month. And, you know, just supporting. It's just everybody does it. Everybody supports each other. And it's like, what? This is just a cultural change that, you know, who's running the world right now? It's a bunch of old white dudes in Washington, as it always has been. But this world is going to radically change in the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years as all of these other people start to take over the world. And I think it's a wonderful thing that we're going to get more diverse. I think it's a wonderful thing we're going to get more diverse viewpoints in, in running our country and running our world. However, I think we have to watch at, do we swing things too liberal? My parents, my grandparents, way too conservative about sex, way too conservative about nudity. My kids' generation, probably my grandkids' generation, I kind of think they're a little too liberal about it. I'm not going to say that our generation, Chuck, was perfect, because I think we just basically stood by and watched the world burn as we handed the torch from our parents to our kids and just went, wow, this is a fucking mess. Here you go. Yeah. And and we didn't do much about it. We just kind of stood and watched the world burn. I'm worried that that pendulum of sexuality, that pendulum of nudity, that pendulum of pornography, it went from so crazy conservative with our parents and grandparents that it's just gone way too crazy liberal with our kids. And we have to actively work to get it back to some 
homeostasis middle point where it can't be like our parents where we're Puritans, but it can't be where, oh my God, 12 of my friends are naked online and let me give them some money just because I like them. That's, that's a, that's, that can't be a healthy world. Here's my question. If we could maybe ponder it for a few minutes and have a quick discussion for ending anything. The future sex bots. I don't buy it. No? I don't buy it. I don't, I don't worry about it at all. You go back to HBO had this show in the 90s, which seems quaint now. If you can find episodes of it, it's almost funny. Called Real Sex. Where it was like it was like a it was it was patterned after European magazine style shows of the eighties that were about sex and it talks you know what is sex like on the computer with the internet just starting what's going on in the sex clubs and the sex dungeons and what what's what you know who was crowned Miss Florida nude this year and just this this this, this really cheesy show. Hmm. They were talking about virtual reality sex then. We've been talking about virtual reality sex as long as we've had computers. I know we have these VR helmets now, and I know that some people absolutely love them, but as long as they cost money, you're not going to get that many people into it. And I'm sorry, I don't care if you have a device that you bought at a bookstore and you're wearing a helmet and you are having great sex with yourself in this device while you're watching whatever looks like is happening 3D in front of you. It's still not sex. I do. I honestly do not think that virtual reality sex is ever going to become mainstream. It's been promised now for 40 years that it's going mainstream. What happens when we have robots who can have sex with us? Well, you know, I want a robot that washes my car first. I want a, I want a robot that will rub my feet at the end of the day. I want a robot that's going to make me dinner. I don't need I, mean, I don't I don't need a robot to give me a hand job at the end of the day. I need all these other things and it seems to me you could sell a lot more robots that rub my feet at the end of the day or make me dinner than you could robots that have sex with people because that's still a limited market and those robots aren't going to be cheap. And frankly, if you have the kind of money where you can afford a sex robot that's any good, aren't you just going to go buy the real thing? You know what? Any, if anybody out there was curious, there's the answer. And that's, you know, you're absolutely right. Because if I was to be that guy, I would want my robot to clean my house, number one. Number two is cook yeah. a meal for me. Number three is to wash my car. Number four, rub my feet. And you're yeah. right. Yeah, you know, that, exactly. And if, like I said, if you've got the money, you know, I hate to, you know, I, I don't want to make light of this, but, you know, Jeffrey Epstein had the kind of money and connections. If he wanted to create the world's greatest sex doll, he could have, but he didn't. He went and did all his other crazy stuff. People who would want actual robots to lay on top of have so many other problems going on that I don't think we have to worry that they're going to get to that point. And the normal guy like you and I, you know, let's be honest, if there was a sex robot out there that was $5,000, I like sex as much as the next guy. I'm not buying a $5,000 sex robot. It, it's, it seems sad to me i mean I no i'm not gonna say no judgment i guess total judgment on people who buy them there are there are other ways to connect with people there are other ways to meet people there are other ways to to, to get your jaw and if you you know if you're addicted to this then you know that's a kind of sex addiction so go get some help but 
I'm not worried about virtual reality porn and sex robots taking over. I just it doesn't seem it doesn't seem plausible. I'm going with you. So thanks for the thanks for the input, the opinion, and the clarification. And yeah, you're right, Joshua. Again, this has been fantastic. Is there anything else that you want to add to you know the topic of porn addiction or for Ooh. your addiction recovery and how you might be able to help folks? Yeah, no, I just want to remind people that whether you are a porn addict or whether you are the partner of a porn addict who's dealing with the betrayal trauma, it can get better. But it's probably not going to get better on your own. Find a coach, find a therapist, find a counselor. If I'm not your cup of tea, and I know I'm not everybody's cup of tea, find somebody who is your cup of tea. The most important thing, it's not the certificate or the diploma or the doctorate they have hanging on their wall. It's do they connect with you? If you've got a, I, I sit down with so many people who are like, my therapist clearly has never looked at pornography. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. They don't know, you know, their, their suggestions to me are clearly of somebody who doesn't touch this stuff. So they don't click and that's understandable. So find somebody who you click with and just don't sit there and wait to get help. Don't sit there and think that you're going to grow out of this. Don't sit there and think, well, I can't be a porn addict. Anybody can, including you. And if you have a problem, if you take care of it today, it won't become worse of a problem tomorrow. The longer you wait, the worse it gets. That's how addiction works. Joshua, thank you very much. This has been enlightening and helpful. I love hanging out with you, Chuck. Love talking to you. I'll be back anytime you want me. That's good to hear. So again, thank you, and I hope you can have a wonderful day. You too.